Would you join me in John chapter 9? John chapter 9. And while you're turning there, you may have noticed in our call to worship that Sunday is what? Ooh, that's next Sunday. What's tomorrow? Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. There we go. You got it? Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, of course, commemorates when Jesus rode into the holy city of Jerusalem, not on a war horse, but on what? Do you remember? A donkey. Just like Zechariah said in the scriptures. And it was a party on Palm Sunday. On Palm Sunday, the crowds of pilgrims and people saw this Jesus and they waved palms and they shouted what word? We sang it earlier. Hosanna. Awesome. And this, of course, means save us, O God, which is a phrase from the Psalms. So this was a party because it was loaded with expectation. They were hoping that this would be the king that really would save them. Palm Sunday is ironic because they had no idea the kind of salvation that this king would bring that week. How many of you are familiar with the phrase Holy Week? We've used it for years in our church since we've been the neighborhood church. And it's the week that commemorates this king as he journeys into Jerusalem. He confronts the religious institution. He confronts the political oppression. And he confronts sin, death, and evil itself. But on Thursday, he's betrayed. On Friday, he's what? Crucified. Saturday, he's laid in a tomb. And Sunday, he gets out. But you guys are going to have to come back next Sunday for that story. Sound good? Next Sunday, of course, we won't be meeting here. We will be up the street a bit at The Rock. Sunday, Easter, 10 a.m. If you come here next Saturday, well, you can have the parking lot all to yourself. We have a lot going on for Holy Week. Stay tuned in our social media. Stay tuned for some announcements this evening. But for now, just know that we are journeying with Jesus at the end of our Lenten journey as we approach the cross and the empty tomb. Amen? Amen. 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 But tonight, the story is in John chapter 9. So I hope you're there in a Bible. I hope you're there on your phone. Because we're going to read a part of it, but talk about the rest of it. We're in the sixth miracle, or the sixth sign in John's Gospel. Y'all remember what these signs are doing? They're leading us down the road as if you're driving down the interstate and you see a sign and it's pointing to who? Jesus. And John is pointing us with these signs so that we might see Jesus and believe Jesus and find what? Life in his name. That's what John says at the end of his gospel. These seven miracles, these seven signs are leading us down the road and saying, look, 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 look. And nowhere is this leaping off the page more than in John chapter 9. He's saying, look, 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 look. Because in the sixth miracle, he's going to heal a blind man. And the question that looms over the whole chapter, and you might want to write this down or hold on to this in your mind, because this is the question in the whole chapter of John 9, and it's the question for you and me tonight, and it's the question that goes like this. Do you see who Jesus really is yet? 
Do you see who Jesus really is yet? Because there's no shortage of false expectations of what this king ought to look like. There's no shortage of false assumptions about what he ought to do for me in this world. But the question in between every line of John chapter 9 is, do you see? Look, look, look. Do you really see? Our story has four big sections, and it's going to go like this. It starts with an assumption. Then a man sees. Then, y'all ready for this word? There's a scuttlebutt. That's a very... It's a very uh, theological and biblical term, scuttlebutt. It's a Navy term. You're right, Mark. Of course Mark knows that. So there's an assumption. Then a man sees. Then there's a scuttlebutt. And then a man really sees at the end of John chapter 9. That's where we're headed in our story. All with this question looming for you and me and you and you. Do we really see who Jesus is yet? Let's look in John chapter 9. I told you I'm going to read the first part of it, and we're going to hit the highlights with the rest of it. John 9 verse 1. So as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Jesus responds in verse 3, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it's day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. So while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Verse 6, Jesus takes the man to the spa. You ready? After saying this, kids, listen up. Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. What's up with that? Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Wait, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, Nah, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, Look, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked. I don't know, he said. And our story continues. But this is the word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. My kids love cherries. Whoop. My kids love cherries. You know what I'm talking about? The cherries that only come around like once a year when they're in season in this part of the world. And they're like $400 a pack. You know what I'm saying? The Rainier cherries you probably used to have all the time, Browns, the, 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 or Bill at least, because I think they're up in the, what, Northwest? So they're like eight bucks. And this is always frustrating because our daughters would inhale them the moment we got home. 
So I remember a couple years ago, we come home from the grocery store, and then there's Emma and Nora sitting at the table just destroying a pack of cherries like they always do. We just gave up, we turn around, we start putting away the rest of the groceries, and all of a sudden, Nora starts screaming. And I mean, ah, ah, ah. So we run into the table, and we immediately are like, she's choking, she's choking. So Amy's like looking in her mouth and, you know, we're, we're trying to see like, are we about to do the Heimlich on this kid? But she's like, no, she's not choking. But still, ah, ah, tears are streaming down her face. So we're like, okay, she's looking out the window. Maybe, maybe something like terrifying just walked across the window. Are we getting invaded by a bear now? I don't know. But no, there's nothing outside of the window. And she's just sitting there going, ah, ah. So then we're like, okay. She's having an allergic reaction. So we pull up her shirt. Is there a rash, like fingers, like what, 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 what is going on? And she's just going, ah, ah, tears, big sobs for several minutes this goes on. We finally console her and say, babe, what is going on? And she goes, I ate the seed. So we're like, okay, is it stuck in your throat? Is it like scratching your esophagus? And she goes, I ate the seed. Now cherries are gonna grow in my belly. And we said, that's not how this works. Show of hands, Nora, this will make you feel better. Show of hands, if you were a kid and you had that older sibling or that crazy uncle that said, if you eat them cherry pits, if you eat them watermelon seeds, oh man, there it goes. Look at this, Nora, doesn't this make you feel better? We had to console little Nora and say, that's not how this works. This whole scenario in John chapter 9, do you see, do you see, do you see, starts off on a faulty assumption. They see the world working one way, and Jesus shows them, no, this is not how the world works. Did y'all catch that in verse 2, if you still have it open? We're going to be referring to it in the next few moments. These disciples asked a question, and it was rooted in a faulty assumption. What was the question they asked? Rabbi who sinned. They want answers. They want the, why God? This present disability must be the result of some previous sin. Jesus who sinned. Now, this is not a clear teaching of Scripture, but there's enough that Jewish people like Jesus' disciples in those days could have assumed that because of the result of some of their parents in covenant Israel, maybe that they were handed a raw deal and that these kinds of things continued. But there's really nothing in Scripture that says that this sin coin popped into this karma vending machine always equals bad thing. I'd refer you to the book of Job. 
It is what turns this whole question of why do bad things happen to good people on its ear. The thing is, it's just way more mysterious than we can ever relate to. But the faulty assumption that is held by so many people in our world, even today, and especially then, was that the universe was some karma vending machine. And if you put a sin coin in, you get bad thing out. Well, what's the opposite of that, right? How many religious systems are built on the opposite end of the spectrum? Put good deed in, and what? Good thing comes out. Say that to all the wonderful people we know who are struggling with sickness and illness. The truth is that there is no such thing as a karma vending machine. The world doesn't work like that. Cherries don't grow in your stomach when you eat a pit. And the world just doesn't work like that. That's why Jesus responds and says, neither, neither. We'll unpack some more of his answer in a moment, but just understand that from page one of Scripture in Genesis chapter one, the chaos and darkness is the given, but God is the one that brings light and life. So in this world, there is darkness, there is sin, there are billions of wills that are counterintuitive to the will and way of God. There are people that make violence, and sometimes you will suffer directly because of it. Sometimes we invite sin and darkness into our own life, and actions have consequences. We know this to be true. But... We're also told from page one of Scripture and page one of the book of John, John 1 verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Who is the light? The Word, Jesus. The one who became flesh and moved into our neighborhood was tortured and killed, but the darkness, what? Did not overcome it. Jesus who says, I've got work to do in this dark world. I'm the light of the world and the darkness has not overcome it. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. I've got work to do and the work I do is when I'm confronted with darkness and brokenness, I restore it and heal it. It's why we prayed earlier, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You could read this and walk away with another faulty assumption that he was born blind so that God might get the glory. But understand that God may not have made him blind, but when God encounters him in the person of Jesus, he's going to make him well. And that's what gives him glory. There is too much mystery, too much brokenness, too much sin to say that A plus B always equals C. And we've just got to step inside of that mystery and understand that God is always at work, but the way the kingdom works always looks like light that the darkness can never overcome. God uses the raw material of our sin and our brokenness so that He might restore us. So, Jesus effectively says, neither. The wrong question is why. That is too mysterious. There's too much going on. Don't say why. Instead, say what. What can God do next? I am encountering this man. He's blind. Don't ask why. Ask what might the light do in the midst of this darkness? This is the challenge for us because we're going to be tempted every time darkness invades to say, why? 
But the better question is what? And the even better question than that is this. Where? Where is God? Imagine this blind man sitting in a thoroughfare where people in this busy time of a festival are passing by and he can't see anyone, so he holds his hand out hoping for the best. I've got to believe that Jesus got his attention by kneeling down and touching the man's hand to say to him, in effect, I am here. I am present. I am present and up close and personal in a way that probably no one else that day or potentially that week had been. The better question is, where is God? He's right here in the midst of it. Jesus says, let's stop worrying about the why. Let's start asking the what can God do? Because here I am, I have work to do. So here's the big idea I'd love for you to hold on to. God's grace turns tragedy into an opportunity to restore our brokenness. When God enters into a situation, His grace turns tragedy into an opportunity to restore our brokenness. I need you to understand this. Kids, I need you to understand that sometimes bad things happen, but it's not always because of the choices you make. We live in a world that is dark and hurting. But sometimes, and I want us all to know this, when we make choices that invite that brokenness and invite that darkness, we call it sin. When God reveals sin, it is never to shame or mock us. Hear this. When God reveals our sin and our weakness... It is to forgive and restore us to life. We see sin as a tragedy. No one will love me. No one will accept me. God hates me. God's against me. And God's grace sees this tragedy as an opportunity to put back the pieces that we've broken. If you feel shame, if you feel mocked, it is probably not the voice of the Holy Spirit restoring you to the way, the truth, and the life. Colossians chapter 2 says that this cross that we'll celebrate this Friday is where Jesus nailed every sin. Every sin. The one you did today, the one you will do tonight, nailed to the cross. Jesus ain't coming back and forth off the cross to deal with the things that are plaguing you as your hurts and your hang-ups and your habits. That was dealt with. Come to Him. Embrace Him. Find forgiveness and reconciliation. Because God has kicked open the doors and said, Whosoever will, come to me, find forgiveness, believe, and find life. There's enough darkness in the world. Come to Jesus. So when you blow it the next time, know that it's dealt with and that he points it out to you so that he might forgive and restore, not shame, guilt, and mock. Jesus took all of that way back then. Why do you have to pick it up? This is the key. And I'm afraid that too many of us grew up in churches where if it wasn't taught, it was caught that we are dirty, rotten scumbags. But God loves you. But we miss the God loves you part and we just stop at, yeah, I am pretty terrible. And that's why we sing songs that say who you say I am 
because he dealt with sin so that he might forgive you, restore you, not in a way that points a finger. It should be a way that lifts you up so that you can keep walking and following Jesus. That's how we need to approach this. Where is he? He's in the midst of it. He's touching this man's hand. He's bringing him into restoration. So Jesus then gives him the spa treatment. Y'all like that part, kiddos? Y'all see that on your coloring page? You want to know something pretty wild? In those days, they didn't have Advil. They didn't have Tylenol. So some people believed that these holy men like Jesus, not a lot of his rabbi friends, but some other people of different beliefs in those days, they thought that spit had some healing properties. Anyway, if you guys want to come, I can spit on you if you want. You want to see if it's still true? What's remarkable about this miracle is that Jesus heals someone that he never sees in the second sign we saw. The official son who is like long range. Yet this time, he's spitting and making mud. He's touching this guy. I had something powerful about the handcrafted, custom-made miracles of Jesus that none of these seven signs are really the same. Whether it's feeding a multitude or turning water into wine. But for this person, for his story, for this moment, this is what Jesus does And I just wonder, what is it about your history, your story, your hurts, your hang-ups, your habits that Jesus wants to enter into, not as a one-size-fit-all miracle, but if you were to pay attention to Him, to sit with Him, see what He might do for you. This is why I love the fasts that we've been doing in the 40 Days of Decrease book. Today was fast criticism, I believe. So if this sermon ain't your cup of tea, don't tell me about it. Fast criticism. But one of the fasts that we did was fasting comparison. Sometimes we look at other brothers and sisters in our community of faith, or maybe we see Christians in media that have big churches and big impacts, doing big things. And we say, well, that's not me. I think Jesus was just as attentive to that blind man as he would have been anyone else. At that moment, that man was the most important thing for Jesus. Even though it costs him a scuttlebutt that we're about to get to, that man was important. So he sends him to the place called what? Siloam, which means what? I love that. He sent to sent. This is a pool in the Jerusalem area that would be used for a ceremony that they would take water out of that pool and they would march it in procession to the Jewish temple. Jesus and his disciples, of course, were Jewish, which is part of the kingdom of Israel. And this was part of their festival. And he sends them to that ceremonial pool. Because Jesus is the living water. And this man goes with mud on his eyes and he says, wash. And he washes in the pool. Again, another custom made miracle. And when he washes, what happens? He sees. Kiddos, this is in your guide. But parents, adults, 
How do you think he would have responded the moment he wipes that mud off of his eyes and opens them anew? Astonishment. What do you think was the first thing he did? Holler? Cry? He's putting those eyes to work, man. He's putting them things to work. He's walking down the streets he'd known his whole life. He's putting faces to voices he had heard his whole life. He comes home seeing, is what John says. And the people see him also. You remember how the crowd responded, his friends and neighbors? They do a double take, right? And they look back and they're, wait, wait, what, what, wait, what, wasn't it this guy? A few weeks ago, in the morning, I was sitting in our living room because Amy will often have the Today Show on while we're getting the girls set up for school and having coffee. And I'm sitting in the living room watching TV and Amy is doing something at the table. She can see me, she can't see the TV, what I'm watching. And I don't realize I'm doing this, but I realize that she's staring at me and I say, what? And she goes, you're beaming right now. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you've had the craziest looking smile on your face for like the last 15 minutes. I was like, huh, what? And she's like, is that a tear in, in the corner of your eye? I'm like, no, what? And she gets up and she's like, what, what is he looking at? And she looks around the corner and the Today Show's on for the big reveal on some dramatic makeovers of a couple ladies that just needed it. And I, I'm sorry, it hit me. It hit me. Coming off of this crazy year, can I get a free pass? Robert, come on, man. You should have seen these ladies. They had a new lease on life. And I stand by that. There's something about that shift when everybody knew the BC version of you, the before Christ, the before makeover, and the Today Show gets hold of you. And how many people, if they encountered you today, people you went to high school with, people that you knew then, would they see a difference between the BC version and the present day version? I wonder about that. Amy knows, Kelly knows, we went to high school together. I wonder how many people are seeing this online or wondering, they're like, that guy? That guy, a pastor? But there's something about the witness. When we give ourselves to the Spirit of God, His transformative power within us, we see this right down Galatians 5. Y'all know the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of these is why... Paul says, when you keep in step with the Spirit, these are the kinds of things, not cherries growing in your stomach. These are the kinds of things that grow up and out of your life. They said, wasn't that the guy that used to beg? What's your used to? I hope you have a used to. The longer we walk with Jesus, the hope is that we're with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to live like Jesus so we look more like Jesus now than we did a year ago or a year before. And that's not to say that our journey doesn't have ups and downs, but if we're keeping in step with the Spirit, I hope you're more loving to your neighbor now than you were five years ago. 
And if not, keep coming here, keep being encouraged, keep showing up, and we'll help you because we got to do this thing together. What's your use to? It's only possible in the withness, surrendering ourselves to his way and walking in it. This guy is turning heads and this caused a scuttlebutt. This is the third section of our story. It's a, it's a biblical and theological word, scuttlebutt. But there's no other word for it. The remainder of chapter 9 is people reckoning with this guy who used to sit and beg. And they had this assumption that he was a sinner. And then they have an assumption that Jesus must have been a sinner. But then it's a scuttlebutt because how could this happen if these are all a bunch of sinners? The reason there's a scuttlebutt is because they perceived this happened on a, in a sinful way because it happened when? Saturday. Saturday? Oh my goodness, she's right. The Sabbath. The Sabbath is a Saturday. That's the day when Jews would not work. And Jesus is going around saying, I've got God's work to do. Are you with me? And they say, no, no, no. Can't do it. Can't do it. And this whole scene happens. Jesus must be a sinner. This guy must be a sinner. This can't be God's work because it doesn't fit into our religious boxes. The wonderful thing about Jesus is that he takes Moses' law, and this is what they say in the scuttlebutt. They say, we're disciples of Moses. And Jesus is like, look, Moses, that's wonderful. This is God's way. I'm taking Moses distilling it and expanding it. You see Jesus on the mountain in the Sermon on the Mount taking Moses and ramping it up. He's moving Israel further out. He's not replacing Israel. He's expanding Israel. He's not replacing Moses. He's fulfilling it and expanding it. They thought it had to be in this box. And Jesus says, let me just erase the lines of this box. And let me show you who's in and how to live with God. And this is what gets him in trouble throughout John's gospel. So eventually they bring in his parents and they're like, was this man born blind? And they're like, yeah. They're like, tell us more. And they say, no, because you're going to throw us out of our Jewish synagogue, our church, effectively. But this man says something hilarious. I love this. Would you look if you still have it open in verse 27? This is rounding home of our scuttlebutt. I love what he said. He said, what did Jesus do to you? How did he open your eyes? Verse 27, he answered, I've told you already and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Oh, this guy's feisty. Some of you are feisty disciples and followers of Jesus. There's room for you too. This dude is feisty. Look at verse 28. Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. Pause. And that's where he's like, Maybe this is where Moses was headed all along. We keep going. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered. Now that is remarkable. He says, You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. That's an interesting assumption there. But he listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Watch what happens, verse 34. 
To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. You know what's tragic is that when religious people just hold on to those assumptions about who's a sinner and who's not and who's in and who's not, even though the work of God is right there under their nose, something's stirring, something's bubbling up, but because it doesn't fit in their box, what happens? They throw him out. And only when he's out, that's when Jesus, what? Finds him again. Jesus has a way of going where people have thrown others out and finding those people and picking up the broken pieces. Because where God sees tragedy, he also sees an opportunity to restore and bring life and light. That was the scuttlebutt. And the final bit of the story is that this man who saw now all of a sudden really sees. And if you haven't seen it yet in John chapter 9, it's screaming off the page. Are you going to see him too? Or are you going to lay on those assumptions about who Jesus ought to be, who he should be, when he should do this, when he should do that, just like the Pharisees. There's a complete reversal. The one who is blind is really seeing. And the one who thought they had it all figured out, they could see everything and all of the scriptures, they're the ones who are blind to what God is doing in their midst. Now the man really sees. Let's close out our story. Verse 35 through 38. If you still got it with me. Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Well, who is he, sir? The man said. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Pause. What have I been saying every week that John writes these down so that we might see and what? Believe. This dude is leaping off the page saying, are you going to believe with me? Verse 37. This may be the first time that this man is now seeing the face of the one who healed him. And Jesus looks him in the eye and he says, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord I believe, and he worshipped him. It was built on a faulty assumption that Jesus completely reconfigures. He gets down, and the man sees. This caused a whole scuttlebutt about who Jesus should be and what Jesus should do. But when push comes to shove, this man was blind and now he sees and he really sees when he says, Lord, I believe. Do we see who Jesus really is? We're finishing out Lent as we enter into Holy Week next week. And what's fascinating about this chapter, John chapter 9, is that in the earliest church, in the early days of the church, they would use John chapter 9 to prepare people during the season of Lent who were going to get baptized in and around Easter. Y'all know that in Catholic churches still, they follow this kind of practice. Lent is not just the season of giving, praying, and fasting like we're doing. It's also the season where they prepare those who've said, Yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. They get ready. 
They make sure that they know what they're up to. They make sure that they have said yes. And then we celebrate that when they come out of the tomb of baptism at Easter. They used John chapter 9 in the early church. And they would look at this man who would wash with water and see Jesus. And sometime during that baptismal preparation, they would use the words of this blind man, Lord, I do believe. That's the confession for all of us. But the question is this, and I would love for you to take a moment of reflection before we pray, receive communion, and worship again. The moment of reflection is this, not just do you see, but what have you seen? What have you seen of Jesus in the last month or maybe in your lifetime? The kind of thing that feels to you like that washing of the mud and then finally you see clearly. For some of us, that's when we were much younger And we said for the first time, yes, Jesus, I give you my life. I believe that you're Lord and I want to follow you. For some of you, that may be the moment that springs to mind. For others of you, it might be in the craziness of this last year, those dark moments. And you shifted from saying, why, to what, God, can you do? And ultimately you said, where are you? And you had a sense that you knew that you knew that you knew that he was with you even in this moment. What is it for you? I would encourage you just to think, to write, just in these few moments we have together. And if you've never said that, There's no time like this moment to say, Lord, I see you and I believe. He's already said yes to you. He's already knelt down to us in our blindness. And he's waiting for us to give our life to him and say yes in return. That's the invitation. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for this moment to gather together, to see each other, to reconnect But more than anything, Lord, we hope that we connect with you in these moments we've had together. To hear from your word, to look closely at this story. Not that we might just know a few interesting things or statements, but that we might know you more fully. And that in knowing you, you draw us deeper into your love so that you lead us further out into the love of others. Lord, I pray for those who have not yet said, Lord, I believe, that your spirit would move, inspire them, draw them, so that they might give their life to Jesus, so that they find his life coming to them in return. For those of us who may have said that confession and moved us from darkness to light, we still struggle to see you. So I ask for my brothers and sisters here that are struggling to see you, that you might reveal yourself to them in this moment, this evening, and this week as we journey toward the cross and the empty tomb. Lord, you know better than we do how your children need you. So we entrust ourselves to you in these moments. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.